Merry Christmas. You might get sick of this. I've decided I'm going to start my homilies with Merry Christmas through the whole Christmas season. Not the Polish Christmas season, which Deacon Josh reminds us goes to uh, February 2nd, although I am part Polish, so I could. Uh, the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. Uh, but uh, we thank God, I thank God, that while Advent is uh, uh, usually four weeks, give or, give or take, uh, Christmas a little shorter, but yet uh, we, we pack it with so many things. And in order to unpack it, we have certain feasts that the church gives us that reminds us of the meaning of Christmas. And today, on this Sunday between uh, Christmas and Epiphany, the first Sunday after Christmas, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family. So we get to uh, unpack and open up the gift of what it means that Jesus Christ comes into a family. And uh, the, the gospel reflection that the church gives us for this year, for the cycle C, is the finding in the temple, or, or rather the losing in the temple. And I just need to say it, consider this for a moment. God the Father gave the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, Jesus Christ, for their care. And the one job he had given them, they failed in. They lost God. But it's, it's a little less uh, severe than that. They just simply assumed that Jesus had joined the, car, the caravan back to Nazareth. See, when they traveled in, in festival style, uh, because everyone was coming uh, or going, uh, usually they would travel in groups for safety and you know, sharing resources and all those things. And that uh, 85 miles from Jerusalem to Nazareth, give or take, they would, the men would travel together, and of course, men being men would tell stories and all those things, so it's probably good that the men traveled alone together. The women would travel together, and they would, they would tell their stories and, and tell those their things, and maybe there was some recipe swapping or, or, you know, how to do this job a little bit better or whatever. You can imagine as they're walking those 85 miles or traveling those 85 mile, miles. But those under 12, the boys could either go with the women or the men, or they could travel in their own little group because they were being supervised well enough. And so it's quite easy to assume that Mary and Joseph just simply, it wasn't that they lost God, it was just they simply assumed that Jesus had joined that. After all, while they knew that there was something different about Jesus, that he was the Son of God made man, they also assumed that he would be obedient to them. And instead, he stayed back in Jerusalem, and very specifically, back in the temple, as the teachers of Israel would gather. And uh, even uh, somewhat yet today, the, it's not quite as, as much, but uh, around the Temple Mount, the Jewish people will gather, and they'll share their, their learnings from studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, or the, those that are more attuned to the, uh, the rest of the scripture will share. And it would be a question and answer. It wouldn't be a formal education, a formal school, but it would be a, a preaching and a teaching. And so uh, any of the scholars would, could ask a question, pose a question, and anyone could answer it. And so there was this beautiful give and take in the Jewish custom. And there Jesus is partaking in that. At under 12 years, under 13, because 13, then he would have had to travel with the, 
with a man. He would have been considered a man once he uh, uh, received bar mitzvah. So Jesus is there, a child, a child, 12 years old, and they are astonished by the level of learning he had. But Mary and Joseph, of course, are terrified, and I cannot imagine the terror that was in their heart. Not, not that they had lost God, but where is he? Where could he be? And I have to admit, as I, uh, because the church has uh, done this, basically done it to me and put it in my head, uh, and I know, I know there's a reason for this, but in pairing this gospel passage with the first reading that we have of Hannah bringing her son Samuel to the temple. The church wants us to understand that Jesus really is, in very, very real way, a Samuel figure too. Samuel, if you remember, uh, well, if you know the story, Hannah was barren, considered barren, and she prayed for a child. Eli, the priest, said, thought she was drunk because she was praying without talking and as you're moving her lips and stuff. Go home, woman, you're drunk, I'm not drunk. I'm sad because the Lord has not seen to give me a child. And so after this child, she went home and conceived and, and bore a son and named him Samuel. And Samuel, uh, when he was weaned, as we hear, was given to the Lord, given to Eli to take care of. And after that, as Samuel was tending to Eli in the temple of Shiloh, not the temple in Jerusalem, Jewish, all the same, he heard the Lord speaking. And Eli said, didn't understand that it was the Lord because calls from the Lord were rare, the, the scripture tells us at that time. And it took three times in, in, for Eli even to get it. And the next time he calls, say, here I am, Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then as that ends, it says that Samuel grew up in faith, faith or favor and grace in the sight of the Lord. And here, how does this end? Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and favor before God and man. That Jesus comes and proclaims the goodness. There's not only because this seems to be the best time of the church year to have this gospel passage. St. Luke is the only one that records it, by the way. And I can't help but think and meditate on as the Blessed Mother is sharing the story with St. Luke, as I'm convinced St. Luke tells us, as I said already a few times, uh, he says, I've interviewed everyone anew and written down the account, an ordered account. And I can't help but think of Mary, what uh, her sharing of this story and perhaps a few tears of as she, we didn't know where he was, and perhaps a few smiles and laughter as they began to understand, she began to understand that Jesus Christ had to be in the, his father's house, had to be there. And where else now, looking back, after all these years, the Blessed Mother could say, of course, I should have known that. I should have known. I should not have been afraid. But even more so, I think there's here for us to meditate on, on the very nature of family. I was telling uh, Joe I prepared the wrong gospel passage today. I, I thought it was the flight to Egypt, and I had a beautiful homily. I'm sorry that you don't get a beautiful homily today. 
if you believe that, I have some Oceanside property in Nevada to sell you, but that's another story. But we have a consideration of family here that as Jesus was the Son of God, made man, and yet he was obedient. And the Blessed Mother was saved uh, from the first moment of her conception, was sinless, completely sinless, immaculately conceived, and never in her life she committed sin. She was obedient. And Joseph, we don't have any actual sins that we we know of, but we have to assume uh, that he didn't enjoy supernatural grace like the Blessed Mother did. He enjoyed grace. He enjoyed uh, God's providence. But here he is, a man who is tasked by God, a righteous man all the same, but a man tasked by God to take care of the Blessed Mother, sinless by, by grace, and take, take, to take care of Jesus, sinless by nature. And how this the dynamic was there. And I reflect uh, this last year, we, about uh, two weeks ago, we ended the year of St. Joseph. But we hopefully, and I didn't do a whole lot, I, I acknowledge, with the Feast of St. Joseph after, or the, the year of St. Joseph after the initial starts. But hopefully we have a deeper understanding of how St. Joseph is so needed in our world, so needed, especially among our fathers, that St. Joseph provides the model for us that they are to be protectors and providers as fathers. And our mothers to be nurturers, to, to take that role seriously. And children to be obedient. If Jesus was obedient to his parents, being the son of God, I have a long way to go. I think all of us do. And that's the mystery that we celebrate today. And the good news is that there's always a chance to restart. That the Holy Family, as we contemplate what it means for them to form this Holy Family, that our families, too, need to be holy. And there's always a chance, a restart. And it doesn't matter in the end. It just matters that we start somewhere seeking to follow the model of the Holy Family. As we hear in that second reading, and it's one of my favorite readings of all, beloved, we are God's children now. There's an adverb for us. We are God's children now, right now. What we are to be is yet to be revealed, but we we know that as we are God's children now, that he loves us, that he pours his love on us. He invites us to be family family, individual family, the domestic church, and to be a family of the church, the larger church, this parish and the diocese. And the world needs us to be family. As we see families disintegrate and fall apart, as we see families struggle, we need good and holy families. That's our job. The world doesn't always look into the crash, doesn't always peer into the manger as we do at Christmas. But perhaps by looking at our families, the families of believers, 
striving in holiness, much like the Holy Family, maybe the world would see how necessary family is and how it is a source of life, grace, that each of us would continue to grow in favor, wisdom, and grace.